I look over the audience, I remember that Carol hasn't been with us for a little while, so Alan, I just pray for her too in, in her health situations. Again, welcome to each one who's here in the house of the Lord. It's good again to see people we haven't seen for a little while. It's good to see Eileen up from Texas, and uh, she's learning what it's like to be cold again. And uh, it's good to see Marlon and his family here and growing. It's good to see other visitors with us today. All right, we've been looking at some of the attributes of God, and we're at O. So what are some of the things you think of when you think of the letter O? Omnipotence. You go through the three of those, omniscient, omnipresent. Any other O's? Have a father, our father. All right. Mm -hmm. Our father. Only God. One God. Verse I picked out was Jeremiah 10, 12. Would you just turn in your Bibles to that for a minute? It lists, or it gives the idea of several of these, I think, here. Jeremiah 10, verse 12. He hath made the earth by his power. He hath established the world by his wisdom. And hath stretched out the heavens by his discretion. Power, wisdom, Discretion. This is our God. This is the one that we serve, the one that we are here to worship today. Our text for the message is Matthew chapter 7, 13 and 14. And the title of the message is Walk the Path of Obedience. Obedience is a most unpopular word in modern English. It's more be insubordinate, be rebellious, stand up for what you think, be your own self. To be submissive to authority, to be obedient to your own conscience, to be obedient to the word of God. Well, we have a choice, don't we? Whether that's going to be ours or not. So the title is, Walk the Path of Obedience. Jesus, by obedience, made us righteous. And Romans 6 speaks of the believer's obedience unto righteousness. And so I think a cornerstone of our character is obedience to God and the established patterns that he has set up. 
We train a child and we want them to learn all kinds of things. But you know, when they come to school at the beginning of their school years, it really doesn't matter whether they can count to 100, whether they can say their ABCs front and back, but it does matter whether they are obedient, whether they can listen to those that are giving instruction to them. So there's a way that a child progresses based on their attitude about obedience. Matthew chapter 7, 13 and 14 says, Enter ye in at the straight gate, for wide is the gate, and broad is the way that leadeth to destruction, and many there be which go in thereat, because straight is the gate, and narrow is the way which leadeth unto life, and few there be that find it. Now my thoughts this morning are going to the continued walk in our Christian experience, and the cost of that, the challenge of that, the joy of that. And uh, two years ago, I was in Ghana, Africa, and walked a path that I want to give at the end of the message today, walked a path by myself, didn't succeed with my goal of getting to where I wanted to go, and I want to bring that into this path of, of obedience, a path of obedience. When we look at this reference of Matthew 7, 13, enter ye in at the straight gate. Straight means narrow and difficult. It doesn't mean a line straight, a road straight. It means one that is narrow and difficult. It does use the word narrow in this text. And the idea more of being an afflicted way or one that has difficulty. Let's read that again in light of that understanding. Enter ye in at the narrow or difficult gate, which we're referencing there, coming into the kingdom of God, becoming a Christian. There had to be a drastic change that took place when we became a Christian. The question is, what about the path beyond that? Enter ye in at the straight gate, for wide is the gate, and broad is the way that leadeth to destruction, and many there be which go in thereat. Because straight is the gate, and narrow is the way which leadeth unto life, and few there be that find it. In Africa, the path that I took led somewhere. But I never found out where that path ended. There were several reasons for that. And I'll give that at the end of the message. In Luke's account of this, it says, strive to enter in at the straight gate. Striving is the idea of there's going to be effort put forth to enter in at this gate 
and to make a change in our life. Our flesh must be dealt with, and there needs to be constancy, there needs to be diligence, there needs to be courage, and barely seeking Christ and his ways is not going to bring us home. Have you ever asked someone if they're a Christian? You're in town and you see someone at the store, at the gas station, and you ask, are you a Christian? They say, yeah, I'm a a Christian. Have you ever asked someone if they're a Christian and know what the Bible says about Jesus' death and resurrection? No, I don't know anything about that. What would your opinion of them be as a Christian? Are you a Christian? That's an easy question. And our society has said we can give an easy answer. Yes, I'm a Christian. And we see promoted the idea of you can become a Christian by a certain procedure. But it seems like true Christians, committed Christians, are in the minority today, always have been in a minority. Because there is a, a cheap brand of so-called Christianity. Are you with me? Do you agree? Now that doesn't make us sit here and say we're better than anybody else. But it makes us ask the question, what is my Christianity costing me as far as with my flesh and with My whole being. Cheap brand Christianity could also be called easy believism. You walk into the church, you recognize you're a sinner, and when the invitation is given, you come to the front and you say, I'm sorry, and you're prayed over and you walk out the door. And you continue life pretty much as it was before. You're now called a Christian, but life hasn't really taken any significant turns. You did it because you had a weight of guilt in your spirit, and it was for you that you did it. It was centered on self-interest instead of giving themselves to God and to his kingdom work. In a way, it was setting up self and saying self is more important than anything else and making, well, in a way, making ourself an idol. Easy believism 
when you go out the door and it has nothing to do with your week's activity, it costs little. It doesn't require much energy. It doesn't require any of my abilities. It doesn't cost any of my bank account. What kind of Christianity is that? Easy believism is not demanding on me in any way, shape, or form. It actually demands something of God and maybe even the church. And that is entertainment. You didn't come here this morning to be entertained. I don't believe that. But some people may go to church to be entertained. And it may somehow calm their spirit that they did what they needed to do. And it was just a mere observing instead of involvement. Maybe some people go to church because they want some emotional high. And that emotional high is a feeling that well, somehow puts the weak behind them, but it's soon gone again. The path of obedience is more than that. And we need the brotherhood, and I appreciated the lesson in our Sunday school about brotherhood. I need you. You have value in my life. It's not just me and Jesus. Yes, it is me and Jesus, but it's me and my brother and my sister, and we need each other to, to help us on this, on this path of life. If you were with me on the path in Ghana, Africa, I think we would have gotten to where we needed to go. I think. I'm pretty sure. But I never got there. The path home to glory is a path of obedience to what we understand from the scriptures. It's following. Jesus called for true followers. He didn't call for just a mental assent to believe. Turn with me to John chapter 2. I know with interest the last three verses of John chapter 2. The book of John has the word believe in it some 98 times. So it's an important word. But the word believe is more than mental assent, saying, oh, I believe in Jesus. Yeah, I, I believe he existed. Well, that's one level of belief. 
But note here in John chapter 2, verse 23, Now when he was in Jerusalem at the Passover, in the feast day, many believed in his name when they saw the miracles which he did. But Jesus did not commit himself unto them because he knew all men and needed not that any should testify of man, for he knew what was in man. There was a superficial belief because of the miracles that he did. Some people become saved because they're afraid of hell. Certainly that was in our view as we became a Christian, but we are saved from more than hell, brothers and sisters. We are saved from destroying ourselves in our own selfish ambitions and our own way. Jesus said he did not commit him. It says he did not commit himself because he knew that there were those out to kill him. They weren't serious about their belief. John chapter 8 clarifies this belief that is beyond mere assent. And in John chapter 8, verses 30 to 32, we have again, he spake these words, as he spake these words, many believed on him. Then said Jesus to those Jews which believed on him, if ye continue in my word, then are ye my disciples indeed, and ye shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. So he was saying there's more to the Christian experience, being a part of the kingdom of God, than just saying, well, I, I believe. It's more than just mental assent. It is a commitment. It is a coming to taking him at his word and trusting and living his way. We have in Corinthians about the carnal Christian, and the carnal Christian, if you can call him Christian, is, is saying that, you know, you can keep living as you were living before you became a Christian, and the way of holiness is not really very important. Oh, if you want to do it, it's okay. Paul wasn't saying that, but he was using different terms of carnal Christian and those that were sincere Christians. And there's that idea out there that says, I can be a Christian, but I can continue in my sin. I can do certain things because I don't have to take my Christian life that seriously. Suppose a person is an alcoholic and they become a Christian. Or suppose someone's been addicted to pornography and they become a Christian. They give that up. They say, I know this is wrong. I know this is not honoring to God. 
And they make a choice to give that up and to let the power of God in their life. Oh, they may be tempted, and they may fall at times in those areas again, but that's not a lifestyle for them any longer. Suppose that person returns to becoming a drunkard, or the one returns to his smut and lives that way, is he rejecting the path of obedience? Yes, he is. Romans 6 says, shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? No. God forbid. Galatians 5 says, walk in the spirit and will not fulfill the lusts of the flesh. That's our desire as a true follower of Jesus Christ. But when one rejects walking in obedience, they're no longer on the path that leads home. So am I saying that there are people who say they're Christians who've made a change and no longer are walking the path and they're not going to get safely home? Yes, that's what I'm saying. The scripture over and over says there will be some that will be deceived and turn away. There'll be some that will be apathetic and they will not continue on the way. The parable of the sower and the four soils, there were those who gave their life to the Lord but turned away. Thorns came in and choked out. Does that mean that you and I could become a Judas who by transgression fall? Does that mean that I need to walk circumspectly, and I need to walk the path of obedience? Yes, because as the scripture says, even the very elect can be led away. The Bible teaches a day-by-day walk of holiness, and I need you to help me walk the path. I can become disoriented. I can become apathetic. I can look at the carnal Christian and I can get off the path. Wednesday evening we have our church discipline review. Why do we even have a church discipline? Well, whether we use a church discipline or not, the walk of holiness requires firm decisions about what I'm going to do personally what beliefs I'm going to hold, and what actions. Daniel had them, and he went to the fiery furnace. He stood on what he believed. His actions lined up with it. He walked the path of obedience. David, when he went down to see his brothers, was met with, The shout from Goliath. Who's going to come out and fight me? And David felt in his heart he needed to take up the challenge. 
Why? Because he stood for principle. He stood for being on God's side. He was a young man who had made a, a commitment to enter the way of godliness no matter the cost. The Apostle Paul, he had firm decisions about personal standards and beliefs and actions. He served valiantly through the history we have recorded in Scripture. But now we look at Samson. Eh, a little different picture because he didn't stand on what he knew was right. He didn't have actions that lined up with what he said he believed. Mm, the children of Israel, when they left Egypt, what happened to them? They were saved out of Egypt. Oh, what a wondrous time. Can you imagine the rejoicing as they came out of Egypt? Can you imagine as they are finally on the move toward the promised land? And they get out there in the wilderness. And they're free from all the hardship of the Pharaoh. But what happened? They started complaining and wanting what they had before and returning would have been, well, to them better than looking ahead at the goal. They were saved out of Egypt, but they complained along the way about how hard things were. And we know those over 20 died and never made it to the promised land. They didn't believe that God's path was the path for them. Turn with me to 2 Timothy, chapter 1. 2 Timothy, chapter 1, verses 9 and 10. I know I'm jumping in a sentence here. But the gospels have been given to us. In verse 9, we've been saved. Who has saved us and called us with an holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace, which was given us in Christ Jesus before the world began, but is now made manifest by the appearing of our Savior Jesus Christ, who hath abolished death, hath brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. who hath saved us. Anyone that is willing to be saved can be saved. What makes them willing? The grace of God in their life to call them to himself. He would that all would be saved. The true Christian then is called for a purpose. He says a a holy calling. Called us with an holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace, because he had work for us to do. We have a kingdom to represent. The way is windy sometimes, the way is hard sometimes, but the way has blessing. Salvation 
grace and faith need to go together. His grace brought us to repentance. His grace allowed us to that spot. But we had to make a choice whether we're going to accept that. The divine side of salvation is grace where he said, by grace are ye saved. You're justified by his grace. Sometimes the word election gets thrown in. It is in scripture. It is clear that there's those who are the elect. Referring to God's choice to save those. To save humanity and to bring them as a part of his family. We look at the word election in the scripture. We look at. God calling each of us to himself and be a part of the elect. We are a saint now only because we have accepted that. We see the word predestination in Ephesians 1 and in Romans 8, and that's another term that sometimes brings confusion. Predestination implies that God has a plan for those that are believing in him. And that plan is to bring them to perfection, more and more into his likeness. If we look at Ephesians 1 and Romans 8, we are to be a part of his holy calling to become more and more like him. It doesn't say anything in those verses about heaven or hell it has predestined to be into, conform into his image. The human side pertains to faith. What does it mean to be born again? What does it mean to be changed? I was thinking about recently this word circumcision and circumcision of the heart. How many times the scripture speaks about the circumcision of the heart. God doing a work within us that cleans us up in our desires, cleans us up and makes us a born again child of his. What does it mean to be born again? It means to have a different focus, to have a heart change, to be the old cut away and giving room for the new. That allows our faith to be a working faith and it allows us to walk the path of obedience. We become a new creature. Old things are passed away. All things are become new. Now, when I was in Ghana two years ago, about this time, they were looking at starting a church out near the oil press. Palm Oil Ministries had already asked someone to come and be the pastor. They asked if I'd go over to help encourage the missionaries at that time and to just kind of survey the situation. 
And so I decided that I'm going to get to know this little community near the oil press. And I would say that the town that the oil press is in is bigger than Dundee, I would say. The oil press is on the edge of it, secluded, but just within a couple hundred yards you can be in, in, in the town. So I decided I'm going to examine a little bit just where things could go with a church plant here. If I was the pastor that was to come here and to start a church, as someone was asked to do, what would I, what would I do? And so I'm sitting at the house at the Palm Press one day, and I had a little bit of time where I didn't need to be with anyone else. And I said, you know what, I'm going to go for a walk, and I'm going to just pray. So I could either go on into town, where there's plenty of activity, or I could go a path that was leading to the next town. I wanted to know what was in the town. I, wanted, I knew that's where the ministry was going to be focused. But I decided I'm going to just spend some time in prayer and I'm going to take this path to this next village. Why not? Here's a path. Wasn't very wide. Wasn't very trodden down. But it was a path. And people assured me that path will lead you to the next town. I asked well, how long would it take to get to the next town? Well, I don't know, maybe 40 minutes. Maybe if you really hurry, you could do it in 30 minutes. So I'm adventuresome, so I start out on this path. But I didn't get real far until I wasn't sure which path was my path. And I'm hearing all the birds chirp and all the strange animal sounds of Africa, and I'm wondering, should I go to this town or not? Some beautiful sights. It was windy, some uphill and downhill, and after a while there was brush across the path. It looked somebody had taken a machete and hacked some of it, but it looked like the people who normally walked this path must have gone around it more than they went through that path that he hacked. So I just said, well, I'll go around this brush. Well, how far do I want to go? Is this the right path, really, to this village? I, I think so. And so I'm gone for 20 minutes or more, and I hear a chainsaw. Oh, must be getting close to the town. Yeah, they had chainsaws there. I didn't know, but they did. And so I decided... Um, you know, I'd like to bring some souvenir wood home. I'm going to go to that chainsaw fella, see if he can just cut me a little sliver. So I did. But the language was nothing I could understand. I just motioned to the end of the tree where he'd cut a wedge out. And, can I, little piece? Oh, yeah, so he got his chainsaw fired up again, he and another fella, and they cut me a sliver and gave it to me, and I thanked them and back on the path again. Pretty soon I passed people coming the other way. So I knew that there was a town out there. But I was by myself more than a little bit. I was by myself 
40 minutes or so. And I still didn't hear any noises from no other town, and I didn't have any way to see ahead. So if you would have been with me, I wouldn't have been scared, but I started to get a little bit, eh, I'm not sure. If, if one of the natives would have been with me, oh yeah, I would have, I would have loved to go to the next town. You get the comparison? There's a path. I was told the village was out there, and I had a decision whether I was going to get there or not. Yeah, I got sidetracked on the way with the fellow with the chainsaw. I tried to talk to the people coming the other direction. How far is it yet to the next? Well, language was different, so it didn't help me very much. Some waves, yeah, keep going. But that's about all. I got to a point where I said, I'm going to turn around and I'm going to go back. I never made it to my goal. I still wish I would have seen that town. I still would have loved to have seen that town. They talked about it as being a larger town. I would have loved to have seen it. But I didn't get there. I turned around. And when I went back to the, to the palm press, I decided now I'm going to go into the town that they are, and I'm going to walk around and see what's going on there. So I walked around there. And I had the time of my life because I enjoy meeting people. I had one fellow that could teach me English, or that, that knew English and could teach me a few sayings. And he said, you know what? I'll go with you. And he said, I'll take you through the town, and I'll show you whatever you want to see. He spent about an hour and a half with me going through that town, and we met the assistant chief of the town, and the assistant chief says he's introducing me to him and says they want to start a church here, and he says, you've got to come. Well, you have to have a campaign. You've got to come. We have to have a campaign. Here you can use the center town. You can use this and this, and we can have a campaign. Went from one person's house to another. They invited us in, sat down and talked. Oh, it looked easy there, but it didn't look easy going that path by myself without anybody else along. Now, I understand that they did have a, do have a church started there. I understand that the Lord is blessed with some good Bible school experiences. Sometimes we get sidetracked and we look at the easy route and stay where it's comfortable when God is asking us to walk a path of obedience that does not look as easy. It took a decision to become a Christian. We entered the gate. Will we keep on? Will we continue the way toward glory? Will we make it to the abundant life? Are we in the abundant life? Will we make it to glory? Perhaps as a Christian you're facing uncertainty. Perhaps you feel alone as I felt alone on that trail. I knew God was with me. 
It wasn't like I was breaking out into a sweat of concern, but I wasn't comfortable either. I was discerning the path. Perhaps we're facing in our lives, any one of us, discouragement. Don't understand everything. No God is there. But this morning I want to encourage you. The way of obedience, the way of taking the promises of Scripture, the direction of Scripture, and keeping our eyes focused there and getting, instead of getting off the path is the way that we will get to glory. Straight and narrow, but it leads to where we want to go. Easy believism, it's all around us. We can compare ourselves with everybody else. We need to ask, what is God calling us to do? To be. How are we to serve in this age in which God's called us to? Are you doing more than believing? With a mental assent? Is your belief costing you something? Is it something that God is blessing? in your life because you have given to him your all in all. My prayer is that we would be faithful as a congregation to serve the Lord, to walk a path of obedience. You know, we talk sometimes about the words conservative and liberal. Well, the real question is, am I wanting to conserve the teachings that are in the Bible. However, we make an application for that. Am I willing to conserve that teaching and to hold it up as the path of obedience? Let's kneel together for prayer. Heavenly Father, I thank you for the path that you have called your children to. And you said that there will be Persecution, because people will not understand. Said there'll be hardships, maybe even death. But we understand your way is marked out as we take the scripture and, and read it. Your Holy Spirit empowers us to live the righteous life. We humbly come before you and ask for that power to fill us as we go on in this walkway of life. We ask for forgiveness where we've not followed the path very carefully, where we've gotten off track, where we've lost our way, for our pride and arrogance that has not allowed us to be brought back. Pray, Lord, that you would just minister to our hearts as we Think about walking with you in full surrender each day. Bless our meeting on Wednesday night. I pray, Lord, that we would be open and honest with each other and we would allow our thoughts to be 
helpful in the discussion. I pray, Lord, that we'd be able to, together as a congregation, represent you well. I pray this in Jesus' name.